From Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Good day and welcome. Thanks for joining us for CRI's latest It Figures podcast. I'm Chris Kane, a financial institution partner in CRI's Birmingham office. I've been working with financial institutions for about 21 years. And today I have with me Doug Mims, and he's a financial institution partner in our Atlanta office. Welcome, Doug. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to have you. We have a really interesting topic on today's podcast, something that bankers have been talking about for a really long time. It seems like forever, honestly, in my world that bankers have been talking about uh, current expected credit losses uh, or uh, FASB accounting standards update, ASU 2016-13 measurements of credit losses uh, with regard to financial institutions. So uh, we have some additional information out given the coronavirus and COVID-19. So some changes in this space. So Doug, I thought maybe you could outline some of those uh, important changes that happened recently for our audience. Thank you, Chris. Uh, You're right. We've been talking about Cecil for a long time. Uh, Our our clients have been talking about it. We've been talking about it internally and uh, it's been a, been at the forefront and uh, a lot has changed in a short period of time. We, we entered into this year thinking that, that everyone, uh, all, the, all the large uh, public companies would, would have to comply Q1 and that there was no turning back. And, of course, we felt like after the last delay that 2023 might be the final delay, absent some, some legislative action. And uh, so it's kind of played out a little differently than we all thought. Uh, if you go back to, to March the 13th, when, when the president uh, declared that the nas- a national emergency related to the coronavirus, I think everything's changed since then. And uh, I guess it kind of started uh, af- after the 13th. It kind of started with, with the, uh, the chairperson of the FDIC writing a letter to the FASB uh, urging them to delay Cecil. And that, that was kind of the momentum um, that, that took place. And now, in the meantime, uh, as, 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 the, as the FDIC has, has, has recognized this and, and you know, publicly gone out there and said, hey, we need a delay. In the meantime, the, the FFIC came out with some guidance that would have the uh, transition to Cecil, the impact of the transition to Cecil would occur over five years rather than three. It essentially would, would delay the impact for two years and then recognize over three years, but that's solely for regulatory capital purposes. So we kind of had a, a change in that dynamic with, with uh, the, you know, from a regulatory standpoint. And so that was welcomed by banking regulators, but almost simultaneously, the CARES Act is passed. So uh, Congress passed the CARES Act. The, the president signs it on March the 30th. I think that regulatory guidance came out maybe on March the 27th. So action-packed in a small window of time. And if you uh, take a look through the CARES Act, there were several things that, that impact the industry and, and impact our clients. But probably uh, you know one of the more notable things was the impact on Cecil. And so the it, it effectively 
said, hey, if you had to comply with Cecil as of January 1, you don't have to comply anymore. And so with, with that activity, um, a lot happened in a short window of time. And, and I don't know about you, Chris, but kind of left me, you know, scratching my head a little bit about, you know, of course, the, the, the five-year transition is pretty clear as to who that benefits and why, that, uh, why that's relevant. But the CARES Act was a little bit more complicated. Yeah, absolutely, Doug. And I think, you know, we have a lot of bank clients that have spent significant dollars on uh, software and technology and developed uh, CECL action plans. And how do you think, you know, banks might respond to that, given they've really put so many resources into CECL and expecting these timelines and now with the delay? How do you think that impacts action plans and software uh, as part of this process? Well, that was, you know, that was one of the things. Uh, the FASB has not come out publicly even as of now. I think they have a meeting coming up and they're, where they're, they're going to address some of this. But uh, the FASB chair noted uh, during, you know, after the CARES Act was passed, she noted very really the same thing that you did. She made a public statement that, that said, hey, everybody's already down the road. Everybody's already disclosed what they think the impact's going to be. They've put systems and processes in place. They've spent a lot of money. The market has taken that into account. And this really doesn't make a lot of sense to, to paraphrase. And so that was kind of her, her public statement. Um, but, but the one thing that, that wasn't real clear that of course that wasn't an official FASB state, uh, position. That was just her, her public statement but we really hadn't heard from the SEC. So on Friday, April the 3rd, was the first time that we heard from the SEC. And basically, they acknowledged that if, if a company who was required to comply as of January 1 chose to delay Cecil, then that would be in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. So it was a bit of a bit of a loose endorsement, if you will. I say endorsement, that's probably too strong. It was an acknowledgement that if you chose not to comply Q1 and wanted to defer, that the SEC would be okay with it. And so at that point, you've got the FASB has at least spoken publicly. You've gotten the SEC speaking publicly. And then backing up, you know, the regulators are really deferring on the gap side. They defer to the SEC and the FASB. And so you, you, you've kind of got everybody on board. So, so whereas prior to that, in just my personal opinion was, well, I don't know what people are going to do. Once I saw the SEC say it was okay, then I started wondering, you know, kind of what was going to happen in the marketplace and what people might do in response to that comment. Yeah, but clearly SEC filings are... Uh, coming up soon for the first quarter. So there appears to be a lot of uh, unanswered questions right now. So uh, what what are you hearing from bankers and from uh, others in the industry? Well, in the meantime, what I, what I subsequently have, have uh, determined and are, are, are basically found out is, is there, there was a meeting on uh, that same day. Uh, so let me back up just a little bit. So the the, the guidance says that you, you, can, you can delay Cecil through um, the, the end of the national emergency, whenever that is. We don't know when that is, right? We hope sooner rather than later, but that'll be up to the president to declare. So it's the sooner of the declaration 
uh, or de determining that the uh, national emergency is over or 1231.20. So it could be that the, that you actually can defer up until a point in time, but the question would be what would happen after that point in time if you don't go through the end of the year. And so um, unbeknownst to the rest of us, I guess, the SEC uh, representatives from the AICPA um, uh, Depository and Institutions Expert Panel and representatives from at least each of the big four met on Friday the 3rd. And in that discussion, they talked about, practically speaking, what would happen if you did, in fact, defer. So, so while the SEC says, yes, you can defer and it'll, it will be, we'll consider that gap, the part that didn't get stated in, in that was that, what do you do if you don't make it to the end of the year? And the answer was very interesting. Um, if you defer, the, the interpretation was that if, if you defer, then you are basically saying that you did not adopt January 1, even if you've disclosed otherwise. So you didn't adopt January 1. And at the point in time that it's declared that the national emergency is over, at that point, you would adopt. But here's the, the, the tricky part, if you will, or the, the, um, the complex part, is if you adopt prior to year end, which you have to do if the declaration is made, then you would retrospectively go back to January 1st and have to re essentially restate the year under Cecil. So if, if the emergency is declared to be over before 1231, you would, can adopt at that date, but you have to go retrospectively back to the first of the year, which means you might as well have not gone there in the first place. Yeah, so you're kind of gambling, honestly. Um, what yeah, you're, happens you're in really... the future. So why not just go ahead and adopt uh, January one and uh, go ahead and implement? So there's not that uncertainty floating out there in the future. Looks like would be a prudent approach because none of us uh, can predict when this national emergency declaration may be over. That's right. So at the end of the day, you go through all the, these things that have happened. And you go, okay, well, the FASB took this position, the SEC took this position, um, you know, the, the CARES Act is passed, all, the, all these other things we've been talking about. But then you, when you get down to it, does it make sense to adopt January 1? I mean, excuse me, to defer, or does it make sense to adopt January 1? And what we're seeing in the marketplace and what we're hearing from our sources and the people that we know are that banks are pleased with the five-year transition Again, which means that anybody that was supposed to comply as of January 1 for regulatory capital purposes, purposes, not financial reporting, but regulatory capital purposes, you don't have to recognize the impact of Cecil for two years. And then when you do, you can recognize, and it's a little bit more complicated than this, but you can recognize it over a three-year period, making the full recognition of Cecil for regulatory capital a five-year window. Banks are, are pleased with that. Uh, they're actually, you know, excited about that. They think that's a win for them. And most of the people we're hearing, Chris, think that, uh, as you said, basically uh, trying to guess when the emergency might be declared otherwise or the, the, um, the, the emergency might be declared otherwise is just too much of a gamble. So all that being said, we got some regulatory relief. But at the end of the day, Chris, I think we're back where we started from. I tell you, this is an 
evolving situation, but at least from a regulatory perspective, uh, there's some additional deferment there. And, you know, when I talk to bankers, uh, you know, they had talked to stakeholders, they had talked to clearly audit committees and boards, but the thing that really gave them the most concern was, in fact, uh, the impact to regulatory capital. So I think this additional delay uh, is something great for bankers and something great for uh, the banking industry and gives some clarification there uh, and a much needed delay. Absolutely. So we'll, you know, for our part, uh, we'll keep monitoring and, and if anything changes, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll try to, to, to get that information out to our, um, our, the folks out there. But um, end of the day, I think bank, as you said, I mean, bankers are happy with the capital change and, and Hey, they've got a lot of challenges uh, with the other aspects of the cares act that uh, they don't need to be worried about capital right now. Yeah. That's one less concern. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much, Doug. That's uh, excellent information. And uh, thanks to everyone out there for joining uh, It Figures podcast and stay tuned for additional information from the financial institution and our firm. Thanks so much. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.